What's up, y'all? It's Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show on Social Suplex Podcast Network. You're listening to the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show. Listener discretion is advised at all times. Thank you once again for downloading and listening to another episode of the Ricket and Clive Wrestling Show, part of the Social Suplex Podcast Network. My name is Clive and I'm joined by my brother from another prophet, Ricky. <laughs> How are you this evening? Uh, yeah, I'm alright yourself. I'm alright. I seem to have a multi-day toothache and it seems to not be going away so I'm starting to panic that there might be an emergency dental appointment in my near future yeah, I thought that was going to be some sort of segue to a joke well it won't but my appointment might be at Tooth Hurty we'll just wait and see oh Jesus God so before what, we, a terrib- what a terrible start to the podcast before we start officially there is, there is an apology to be made yep an apology to One Nation Radio, Rich and James. You can listen to their podcast on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Uh, we were meant to have them on tonight. Uh, unfortunately, I'm having to travel away with work in a in a few hours' time. So, you know, time difference, like, we couldn't do it. We were actually hoping to get them on. Like I say, we were planning to start about 11, 12 o'clock our time. Uh, but unfortunately... Like I said, I'm travelling tonight for work, um, but we will hopefully get them on. Well, it was not hopefully, I think the plan is to get them on. Hopefully soon, though. I like how you started the apology with a plug for their podcast, which you can also oh, find on Lords of Pain Radio on Tuesday nights, guys, as well. It's, it's the least I could do, <laughs> since it was my cock-up. It was, we, we'll, we'll both shoulder the blame. So, uh Survivor Series has taken place, War Games has taken place. All in all, would you say it was a, a decent weekend of wrestling? Um, bar maybe a, a few things that I never liked. Yeah, it was. Um, I don't have any real genuine complaints, if I'm honest. Um, it kind of went, some, some of it went the way I expected, one or two little surprises, but overall... I thought it was quite a solid weekend of wrestling. Well, we start with some war games action then. Yep. So, what would you say? I mean, four or four slash four and a half matches were on the card, so there isn't many to pick from. But were there any contenders for match of the night for you? Oh, I mean, Gargano, Alistair Black is quite clearly the match of the weekend for me. Um. Oof. Well, I don't even know where to begin with that match. Um, if you want to start off with the the character arc and the storyline we've been told about Johnny Gargano's character, how he's this kind of like white hot baby face and he kind of turns and it's, he attacks Alistair. Um, and for me, it kind of Tommaso Ciampa's at like the heart of it all. He's, as we said the last time, 
when he had the title match was it at Brooklyn that he lost a match the last two matches because he was so consumed by hatred and his hatred sort of made him lash out at Alistair Black because there was no one else that sort of he went looking for champion only saw Black and he lashed out um, to Alistair Black coming out with uh, one of the greatest sort of lines you'll ever hear in professional wrestling where he absolved Johnny Gargano of his sins as if he was some sort of satanic priest in a sense Mm -hmm. I love that that so much not just that but a lot of the stuff about that black like if you go into a confession box to confess your sins to a priest and you know they can sort of absolve your sins it was just and then hits him with the most vicious looking black mass it was just you know, everything about that match was great. Um, and um, like I said, I think in terms of Gargano's development as a character, I think you can certainly go a, diff- a couple of different ways here. Mm-hmm. I think you can kind of naturally turn him back into a babyface and you could almost be like his character has taken like a, a detour because he was consumed by the hatred towards champion. He kind of understands to rid himself of this, he has to sort of vanquish Champer in a sense, uh-huh. or you can continue with the heel. Um, but yeah, that that match from start to finish was just unbelievable. Gar- Gano hit the sort of the two double DDTs where the first one was diving through the ropes to the outside and hits a DDT and then followed up with a DDT on sort of the the, ring, the edge of the the edge of the ring. Um, I, you know, I, I'm like so we don't talk about or oh, how would we give these what star ratings etc we would give for these kind of matches but for me it's just always a simple case of will I remember the match will I go back and watch it and it's a definitive yes for both of those yeah the there is possibility of Gargano going back to being faced I think the story allows for that because that vignette that he had leading up to it where he was saying I'm I'm not afraid of the dark and I kind of like it here well I think what happened for, I think I, I went on a bit about this on Twitter at the weekend, but this was more of a, an Alistair Black match for me than it was a Gargano one. The coming out, the entrance with the, coming th- walking through the candles of his own Black Mass, the horns, the sort of demon skin that he was wearing in the attire, the demon skin on one of his boots, so it said to me, "I'm going all kayfabe here, but he still has one foot firmly planted in hell." Um, and as you say, it was basically like some sort of satanic priest thing where if you want to come to the dark side, you've got to answer to me first and you're not ready yet. So on your way, young man, it was quite the actual action was centred a lot around head strikes and head trauma, which is what you would believe was happened in the, the parking lot that they had the incident in. Just the, the strikes in general. Uh, we've seen these guys play off each other before in that fatal four-way they had with, I think it was Lars Sullivan and Killian Dane as well, in a sort of number one contender match. So we knew these guys could bring it, but the, the level of story that was applied to it as well, I just thought that was, from a sort of character standpoint, that was a fine, fine 20-odd, 30 minutes for Alistair Black. And there were good match, really good matches also in the card, but this one stood out for me, and it will be one I'll remember for a long time. And the absolve you of your sins line was just powerful stuff. Unbelievable, and I think it was just a kind of kind of timely reminder to everyone from Alistair Black and NXT and Triple H etc. that this guy is legitimately one of the best they've got. Um, 
you know, kind of maybe in the last sort of four or five months, we've it's all been about Champa and Cardano, etc. Um, I know Black was injured, but I think this was just a kind of timely reminder that to let everyone know that this guy is also one of the best around. Um, and like you say, the, some of the head kicks and punches and etc. was it was a real hard, hard hitting affair. Uh-huh. Um, and like you say, even just when he hits Gargano a couple of times towards the end, and Gargano's like he kind of holds them up to prevent him from falling down. And as he's falling down, you see him lifting him his back up and his foot underneath the chin before ultimately turn around and say, I, I absolve you of your sins. Um, you know, from start to finish, I thought the match and the storyline was excellent. And there's, let's say there's so many different ways you can go now. You can kind of have Gargano go back and sort of find himself, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you can then go have Black to get his rematch against Champa. Or you could, like you said, you could do that at the takeover at Royal Rumble in Arizona or you could do it on an NXT taping you could maybe bring Black up at that point um, I don't think Alistair Black wins the NXT title again to be honest I think his next calling Paul is going to be on the main roster and if this was kind of like his last hurrah at NXT you know it was what a fucking unbelievable match to put on uh-huh. it was a belter but it, it really was it wasn't the only standout performance of the night because the Champa and Velveteen Dream match was also another cracker and Dream basically a year to the day he made a name for himself in the Alistair Black match funnily enough at War Games 1 where he came across he was wanting Black to say his name constantly and we've seen him evolve into sort of an insecure insecure in himself to becoming much more confident and 12, 12 months later He's confident enough that he knows what Champa's doing in his matches. He stayed with Champa the whole time. He knew what Champa's game was, and there were. It was one of those matches that it felt predictable going into it. But on at least two occasions, I thought Dream is about to win this title here. It just had that feel about it, and it was. I think that helped reinforce Champa's Champa's being a heel, because you wanted Dream to win so much that Champa walked away with yet another victory with, with one boot on, might I add as well, he's walking mm. about with his lovely white tennis socks on and he still walks away with the victory so it, it just makes you hate him that wee bit more and like you said there legitimately was like a couple of occasions where you thought, oh they're about to sort of pull the trigger mm-hmm. so to speak with Velveteen Dream and put the title on him um, do you know what I thought I felt <clears throat> Rance on Twitter kind of I thought summed up perfectly with Velveteen's performances he came out with what did they do they had the Hogan attire they had the some of the, the Savage Elbow he had the figure of four um, couple of other, uh, moves as well and it was like Rance kind of just says that this is Velveteen's love letter to wrestling yes and I thought that was that was quite well put if I'm honest um Everything about him, you know, he's he's an absolute star. Um, I would I would have liked him to win a title, but I just feel like I'm not re- we're not ready yet. Champa's reign is not ready to end yet; still has some legs on it. And at the start of the match, you kind of they kind of played off each other's sort of like insecurities or the thing they, they most care about in a sense. Where uh, Champa got hold of his sort of his bandana. <clears throat> and you could see how 
how how much that kind of got to Velveteen Dream and he comes out and picks up Goldie. Um, I thought things like that was quite well done. Um, overall, I think this this was probably this was I think my favourite Velveteen Dream match since the Alistair Black one. Um, and it also kind of re-enhanced if anyone had any doubts it kind of re-enhanced the belief that Champa is also one of the main guys there and it wasn't just the storyline etc that that made him so hot against Gargano I thought both guys really really told a good story put on a really good match um, and I thought something was going to happen when his book came off like I thought that was I don't know if that was going to I thought maybe that would have led to some sort of like dodgy finish or whatnot, but it didn't it's really um, conclusive yeah, it was. It was. Um, I think this probably was my second favourite match of the night. I think. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, the the War Games match itself is phenomenal. It's it's quite a niche format, niche rules and stipulations. But if you just accept for accept them for what they are, and you know what you're going to get going into it, then there's no uh, there's no stopping enjoying it. And I don't know about you, but when the the babyface's entrance music where they were all coming down separately with the war paint on I was f- very pumped and it was so good to hear I try my best not to think about validation and stuff but to hear Pete Dunne's entrance music not only closing the takeover but in the main event of a takeover and him with that UK title just hanging out of his teeth the fists clenched against his jaw that was a for, for guys who've followed Pete Dunne since the very beginning in January last year, he's beginning of his WWE career. That felt very affirming, career affirming. And I think with with Dunne, there's definitely unfinished business with Ricochet. I've got a feeling that there could be... I, th- I said this on Perfect 10 last week. I have a feeling... And it's just not even fantasy booking, but just I wouldn't be surprised if Ricochet dropped the title, the North American title, on a taping at some point over the Christmas period. And in the lead up to uh, the takeover, is it Arizona, you said? They'll have a match between Dunn and Ricochet in the UK for the UK title. So maybe that's why they've been rushing these UK tapings. having double bills for NXT UK for the last few weeks because they're trying to catch up and they've got a plan to have Ricochet involved in some of the tapings. Again, that's just... It's a bit out there in terms of predictions, but they've got unfinished business and it's all about the titles now, so... So a couple of things. Um, Again, we're probably biased, but you know how they had... Pete Dunne locked up and then they had to release him from a cage and then you kind of saw the panic on Undisputed Era's face as he was kind of making his way down and coming into the cage like they know what they've got with him like they could have easily given that kind of spot to Ricochet but they gave it to Pete Dunne Um, and also the fact that he was one of the guys that pinned got the one in, um, him and Ricochet kind of pinned him at the same time I think I don't know if it was a report or someone else that said it like I think that was done intentionally for a reason uh, to sort of go on to your point I could probably see it going the other way I could maybe see Pete Dunn dropping the U- NXT UK title and then going after the North American title right um, as a full time NXT America guy because UK's still got to find its footing in terms of a draw, so to speak. 
Um, maybe not full time, but certainly full time ish for a few months. Um, maybe still appearing in NXT UK just to kind of sort of stay there. Um, but I would be surprised. I'd be really surprised if we saw Ricochet in NXT UK. Um, I know. For me, I think I think it's more possible the other way. I mean, it'd be great if we saw him, you know. Oh, definitely. Um, but there definitely is going to be some sort of programme because they kind of still themselves have unfinished business because the match they had on NXT, what was it, about six weeks ago or so, mm-hmm. was in, it was interrupted by Undisputed Era. So there's still some unfinished business there. And obviously Undisputed Era are just amazing. They always are in everything they do, but much respect goes to the Wall Raiders I've not been ex- the only exposure I had to them before NXT was in the Wrestle Kingdom match at the start of the year, and since then I thought, okay, they're a decent tag team. They've got good star power. They're confident and comfortable in themselves. But that was that was a star-making performance from both of them. Hanson especially uh, was on fire on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree because I am. Um that was the only exposure I had to him was Elleron here at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, yeah, I mean, I, like I say, the match itself, it's kind of long. Um, I don't know if there's any way they could sort of shorten it, but I still enjoyed the match. Um, the face-off they had after um, when they met, sort of like face-to-face, one team was on one ring, the other one the other ring. So that was a pretty cool moment. Um, and then Ricochet pulls off that double moonsault. Oh, God, I... Like, it's just... It's it's just frighteningly good, frighteningly amazing just how great he is. It's scary, frightening. It's so, so scary. Um, he does the flip out of the ring onto the, onto the ramp when he came face-to-face with Velveteen Dream and then comes and does something like this um, could not fucking believe it couldn't believe it when I saw it because <laughs> you, you you don't anticipate him doing something like that I knew he would do something but not to that level no that was just that was ridiculous I think he's got everything he's got strength he does. because he deadlift suplexed um, Donovan Dijak a good few months ago who's 6 foot 7 at the very least probably got a good 50 pounds on him and a deadlift suplex him so he's got the strength, he's got that charisma he's got the high flying he's not super uber comfortable on the mic but he's still I think it's one of those ones where he's saying the right things, one of those things that Vince will pay attention to and the thing is like he he doesn't look small either, I don't think like height wise you know he doesn't look as small as someone like say Adam Cole or anyone um, mm. he's got some beef on him so that's probably so I, beef I, I know a lot way. of people feel like he could go end up being at 205 but I, I think I don't think he will I think he's I think he's big enough big enough to be on the main, like on Raw Smackdown probably more suited to Smackdown but I'm just trying to see what his build weight is I mean it will be low Oh, it will be, but it's more, I'm, I'm, I'm more so meaning towards it. I'm so meaning his height. Um, oh, so stupid 
Metric. It says he is. It says he's five foot nine. He looks a lot taller than that. I know. It's also stupid metrics with their kilograms, and I'm from Europe as well. Uh, Eighty-eight times two point two. Oh, it's. What are you trying to do? Figure out his weight in pounds. One nine six. <laughs> So he's perfect for 205. <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine a, ma- <laughs> imagine a match between him and Mustafa Ali. Yeah, him and Buddy Murphy. Um, yeah, but I, I, like I said, he's still got plenty of time in NXT. Um, oh, I have. But like I said, we're going to get Pete Dunne, Ricochet. Whether it might even be next takeover, but we'll definitely be getting it soon. Mm-hmm. The, I'd like you to give me your thoughts on the women's match and I'll explain why I'm not giving too many on that in a wee moment <laughs> Baszler and Kyrie Sane I hope it's the end of the feud first of all I think it will be I think the ending maybe kind of led you to believe maybe I know it was a kind of it was a real you know the heels get involved but then you had Dakota Kai and Leo, Leo Shirai come down. It kind of maybe think they might go three on three. The first pinfall was quite quick. Um, yes. For a, for a minute, I genuinely thought, right, they're going to have Shayna get the first pinfall and then get the second one. I thought they were going to do it really, really quickly, and I thought for a second Shayna might win 2 0. Listen, I enjoyed the match. I did. I thought it was a good match. Um, I can sit and watch Shayna all day long, uh-huh. all day long. I think she's she's unbelievable. Um, I do hope, like it says, that this is the ending of the feud. Um, specifically the one on one. But overall, I thought it was a real good match. Um, I don't know if it was my. My favourite out of the ones they've had? Oh, I would say Brooklyn, probably. Yeah, that was pretty damn good. Um, even, I, I think I've maybe preferred the one at Evolution as well. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, like I said, overall, I think all their matches have been good. And no real complaints, other than the fact that I think now is the time to sort of move on from it. Aye. See, there's this. There seems to be six women thing going on. So you've got Marina Shafir and Jessamine Duke. Correct me if I said their names incorrectly. Um, and then Dakota Kai, who all of a sudden has grown a pair. <laughs> um, and Io Shirai as well. So there might be one more blow-off match, and it would probably be the three horsewomen that will win that one. Individual moments in the match that I really enjoyed were the reverse suplex into the DDT onto the apron and also the the way that Kyrie Sane adapted evolved to no sorry, Shayna Baszler adopted and evolved to the insane elbow by catching it and turning it into a crucifix oh, point. Oh, oh. That was like sublime. So good, so clever from Baszler. She's been a victim of that a few times now and she knows how to deal with it and I just thought that was a really good, just excellent way to win. The first pinfall, as you say, was very quick. 
And at that point of the pay-per-view, now, it should go without saying that the last three matches did save it for me overall. The last three matches were excellent. And I was starting to not enjoy it early on because of the quick pinfall and what we were hoping, getting our own expectations up, obviously, that this was going to be some sort of 30, 40 minute epic. But I can't really remember much of the match because, see, the start of the night, I did not like it at all. What was Matt Riddle? Yep. Now, these squash match that he had a few weeks ago, it was all right, nothing special. We're not supposed to see how great it can be in these squash matches, just fleeting glimpses now and again, but the match itself, right, so Matt, Matt Riddle makes an impact with his big knee to catch his Ono in a less, like, not even 10 seconds victory. Ono looks like a fool for moaning about being uh, Regal's new toy, new shiny toy in Matt Riddle. About them, like they have to go through Ono, who's the gatekeeper, and he does so with ease. So there's a few things that annoy me about this, right? One, that bro thing has got to go. <laughs> bro, bro, bro. It's just so pastiche. <laughs> oh, fuck. Right? So far, again, I might be unfair. I've not seen anything from Matt Riddle that I haven't seen from anyone else yet. Another thing, Cassius Sono has been, I would say he has been overlooked in NXT. And this is one of those things where it's art imitating life. I mean, okay, there's issues, there's maybe aesthetic issues with his physique. But look at his, look at the guy, look at his moveset. Every, every single move that he does, you could easily consider it as a enough for a one, two, three victory. So I just don't buy that someone of his size, frame, and toughness would fall to a knee so quickly. But the main issue for me is where this art imitates life is. Cassius Ono was spot on. It's not Regal as such. It's Triple H and Regal. They've got a shiny new toy. And this is a formula that NXT have grown into quite like an obvious pattern of late where they've got a new signing that appears in the front row of the takeover. They make waves, they do vignettes, they squash the talent. Then they get that inevitable win at their first takeover. So that new toys comes in and everyone fawns over them. And there are there are people who are being overlooked. I mean, look at what's his name, EC three. Even on NXT, he screams mid card to me, and nothing about him says main event. EC three is destined for the raw main event. Right, that's fair enough. And we've got Lars Sullivan, who's going to be boring people to tears in the main event soon. <laughs> That's, that's harsh. So, to touch on Riddle, the shiny new toy they've got is maybe the shiniest toy they've ever got in a long time. Right? Okay. Um, to touch on him hitting over the one knee on Ono, Riddle was a pretty good mixed martial artist as well. He has that brown background. Could legitimately beat the shit out of Cassius Ono. Point number three, I don't give a fuck about Cassius Ono, so I couldn't care less that he got buried. I know you don't, and I remember you saying that before. Um, I don't really have much a problem with it. I know early indications where it's supposed to be a dark match. I think you're saying that 
but I think you kind of need to give it time because I think when you get to see Matt Riddle having like proper matches and not just squash matches, you kind of realise he's quite unique. I mean, his entrance and also his, his ring gear, his ring attire is unique in itself. When it comes down, he wears like just shortest of shorts and. But yeah, he's this absolute machine. You know, doesn't wear any, doesn't wear, doesn't wear shoes. Wrestles barefoot as well. Comes down in, in flip flops. But in time, you're going to see just how kind of great he is. Um, I get, I know what you're saying. Like the kind of showcase people at ringside at, at takeover, and they kind of get excited. And so, at the end of the day, when you bring in someone new someone big like that, someone's got to kind of be the sacrificial lamb. Um, and they got a new shite, they brought out another shiny toy at the weekend because they paraded the X-Pac, which suggests that he's going to be debuting <laughs> on the takeover soon. Oh, that was funny. Well done, I, I like that fucking one. dog. That, what, that um, one joke was better than all of mine combined. Well done. Thanks. Um, yeah, just give it time because I think you're going to realise just how how great Riddle is um, like don't be surprised if he's in the main event scene quite quickly as well right I'll try and elaborate but I, I don't know if I'm getting a point across I think most of you're probably annoyed the fact that as it basically comes down to they've got a shiny new toy but you've got guys like Cassius Owner who are kind of overlooked but on top of it, not only being overlooked he's actually good in the ring and he's got a good moveset and when he speaks he doesn't follow through. His actions don't follow through with his words. I mean, I get this, the kayfabe side of things where he's been talking the talk and when it comes to it, he can't walk the walk. I get that. But these shiny new toys, and it goes back to what we said, or what I said, sorry, at the start of the year, where they're just, I think they're, the acquiring of new talent, it needs to slow down a bit. And... Some a cynical part of me thinks they're doing this just to get a cheap pop that lasts a few weeks because EC3's an afterthought now, and it's the same. This is the same problem that's happening on the main roster with wrestlers hogging all the spotlight. It's happening on NXT too, and because because there's not much room on the main roster as it is, these shiny new toys have been chiselled to perfection, like metaphorically, right. And they're not booked to everyone's really high expectations. And this acquired, they're, they're acquiring to the point of saturation. And that stems in NXT and it has a, not a trickle down, a trickle up effect, so to speak. And I think it's a problem that not many people want to have a conversation about. Granted, right, the takeovers are great. So on the night, on the night in question, it doesn't matter that the likes of EC3 is being underutilised. But if he's going to be, See if he was underutilised on the main roster, that would be deemed a big failure. Who in NXT do you feel is underutilised apart from AC3? Or not been given enough exposure? Right. See the the mid card tag scene? They'll they'll never do anything. The mighty uh okay, stakes and weights guys are a good laugh, but Vince will take one look at them and go... I'm meaning just more so in NXT as opposed to when you think they might be getting called up. Keith Lee? Mm -hmm. EC3? But I said, I think everybody knew 
when he signed EC3 to NXT, everyone was saying that, yeah, fine, he'll be fine, but his real calling is the main event because his social media game, promo, presentation, the way he carries himself, etc., is A+. In-ring ability is solid enough, but it's the character and his promo skills that's going to really, and just the way he looks, is what Vince is going to be attracted to, and that's why he'll be, I think he'll be, it may not be like, like, you know, the standout guy on Raw, but he'll certainly be featured on, like, the upper card. Well, it's, I don't think it will be maybe on the periphery of the main event and then out of the main event, but certainly at the top of the middle, uh, top of the middle card. I mean, Triple H's premise is to um, sort these people out, get them prepped and ready for the main roster. When in actuality, like it's better to just think of it as a brand on its own, but there are so many people being brought in that both all the brands don't know what to do with them there's just so many of them so when you get the likes of Bobby Roode Nakamura they're coming in and it seems like nothing Almas they're not doing what the people want them to do on the main roster you think it's a failure but it's just there's too much I'm losing I'm losing my point I've lost the thread entirely let's just cancel uh, you're probably you're, I think you'll just think there's just far too many too many talent there's too many far too many wrestlers and, and under the WWE umbrella as a whole. Yes. And so some of those some of those other guys could be featured in NXT UK. NXT uh, do house shows and they'll continue to expand and they'll continue doing more dates. Don't get me wrong, I think I think there is too many people on the rosters. I agree. But if I'm in Vince McMahon's position and I see someone like Omega or whoever even if someone like if Neville became available or whatever, I I if I'm a visit man, my mentality would be that I'll get I'll snap you up, bring you in, I'll figure out what to do with you later on because in his eyes it's better you're here than you are out with the enemy. Okay. And I know it's it's like kind of like holding talent, but <laughs> why would you let these great talents go elsewhere? And I understand you need to have. We need to come in and have a plan for them, and that part I completely agree on. But at the same time, why would you just let your rivals have a free pass at some of these great, great talents? Mm-hmm. But like I say, a lot of the guys we're always talking about a push, but a lot of the guys just you just don't get to see featured very often. And like I know Almas has been in the ring with Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles, etc. But at some point the penny has to drop what they have in him and what they have in him is one of the top five guys or whatever in the company wrestling wise, ability wise mm-hmm. in my mind he deserves to be in that conversation I just think there's a lot of talent that's not being used as per people's want on the main roster but I think that's happening on NXT as well and unlike you I'm a fan of Cassius Sono whenever I see him in the ring I think I never want to be in the receiving receiving end of any of his quote unquote worked elbows or kicks he's devastating yeah yeah, I get that but going back to what happened the takeover it's it's Matt fucking Riddle like you know 
he's he's a legitimate badass anyway. So I personally don't have a big problem with what went down. Maybe I'm just not on board the Martin Riddle train yet. You probably will be soon, though. If there's, this will probably be... People won't agree with what I'm saying about this, so hit us up on Twitter about this at Rick and Clive, and please send us some of your recommended Matt Riddle matches so I can get on board, because at the moment I'm just not buying it. And it's another, it just says to me, here's another shiny new toy who jumps the queue in front of other people who may have put in a lot more work. Shall we move on? Aye, because I don't have a clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> Bottom line is, f- fuck Cassius Oro. <laughs> oh. Um, take it too far but yeah let's move on to Survivor Series okay again same question what would you consider matches of the night <sighs> oh it's Charlotte Ronda um, probably closely followed by Seth and Nakamura um, um, yeah, yeah yeah that's it for me The Charlotte Ronda match was really good. I really enjoyed the intensity of it all. And with what happened after the match, Charlotte beat down Ronda Rousey. Even with her explanation on Tuesday night at SmackDown, was that necessary? Was she just... I mean, she explained that she was carrying on the the mantle for Becky Lynch, taking it to, Be- taking it to Ronda just how Becky would have done. But I don't, I don't know, it was just a bit strange. But Becky would have done it within the rules of the match. And I was talking to Rance after it. And I better pull up this conversation because I was I even said it to you. I'm not entirely sure about that finish to the match. I didn't I didn't know if I liked it or not. And I guess I was kinda looking for you and you and Ryan's to maybe convince me otherwise. But, like, even that, like, like, I do love Heel Charlotte. I really, really do. Oh, th- that what, goes without saying for me as well. Heel Charlotte, right, the way she carried herself and she spoke to people in the, during the match, etc., was unbelievable. You know, she just kind of degrade people during the match and say things to him. Uh-huh. I hate to say it to you, but, you know, she was doing stuff like that before Becky Lynch was doing it. Yep, that's true. Um, it just kind of, as soon as she started doing it, it made me think that Charlotte believes she can't beat her, and this is why she's resorting to foreign objects. To a certain extent, yep, because Cole and Grace were talking about how Cole said, yes, I can understand the kendo stick, although... It was very random to just all of a sudden see a kendo stick out, out, <laughs> out of nowhere. Yeah, and I'll wait and see how it plays out. Yes. I'll wait and see how it plays out, but I think she was kind of getting across the point that I don't even know if she meant she's been on the receiving end of injustices or she's just been, or she's just going to revert back to who she really is. Because some of her tweets that she posts she's put out, um, 
Because you took it to the Iconics as well on Tuesday night. Yeah. I'm just going to wait and see where this ends up. I'm just going to wait and see where it ends up. Her explanation seemed to be definitely still a sort of brand supremacy thing. Uh, uh, yeah, and she just wanted to beat her up for Becky. And it's like, right, well... But that's what I don't get. I because don't know. Becky, they... Becky's just been putting a beating on you for the last two or three months and now all of a sudden you're going to... I don't know. Like I said, I was just really... Not so much confused, but more like you've just given up. Um, you've just gave up hope right in front of our eyes. I'll kind of wait to see where it goes because we all know just how great heel Charlotte is. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll wait and see. But overall, I felt you know the match was really really good. Um, Ronda's getting better. Yeah, she's still green. Yeah, should should be in this position. You know, it's up for debate, but. You know, it was it was a it was a real good match, and I don't think there's any doubt who the best female wrestler in the company is. Everyone can turn around and say Becky Lynch, but sure as hell, shit ain't Becky Lynch. It's uh, Nia Jax. Aye, uh, Nia Jax. Everyone bows down, bows down to the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose the ending of the match kind of. It also it leaves the door open as well for two here to run it back to kind of go all back and have another match and get a conclusive finish. Um, yes. Whether that be a rumble or whether they go triple threat at WrestleMania, I'm not entirely sure. It it kind of elevates Charlotte to where Becky was, and that's probably what management decided to do with it. They thought if they make Becky as unhinged and crazy as Becky has been, then granted it might get some sort of crowd reaction but it's making her just as dangerous as Becky and I think that's what has been missing from Charlotte the last couple of months because like we said this just goes back to heel Charlotte was a fucking machine as well she was unbelievably dangerous I know she had that period where she went back and forth with Sasha and Sasha and they were kind of dropping the title like every week it seemed like but you know for for the most part for her entire heel run she was dominant uh huh well, I'm going to be biased with my match of the night preference in saying Ali versus Murphy for the Cruiserweight title. A lot of people I've spoken to were unhappy that Murphy retained, but this was his like second match back, second televised match back after winning at Super Showdown. There's things still going on between Murphy and Tony Nice, and there's also still things going on between Murphy, eh, sorry, Ali and Cedric Alexander. Alexander's got this redemption angle. Thing it's going, going to turn on him quite soon. Soon, not yet. Alexander's going to get another couple of wins under his belt before he decides. Right, I'm going to. I mean, I wouldn't actually be surprised if Alexander beat Murphy like before Ali uh-huh. within the next few weeks. But this, as as biased as I am, it wasn't actually about the story for me this time. It was just the spotlight that they got, and I think they did well for themselves. Few callbacks in their matches to previous um, like high spots within the three or four matches I've had before. Chance of two or five chances. This is awesome. That's all I was happy for. They got a good amount of time as well. Told a good story in the ring. Buddy Murphy came across as a, a beast. Ali showcased his offense as well. So from that, just from that alone, I was like, sort of quietly, comfortably relieved. Not relieved. I was saying that as if I was panicking. I'm just satisfied with what they put on. 
the relieved relieved probably could be a, a I think it could be a right word in describing how you could have felt because it was like it wasn't so much you were worried that it was going to be a good match you're just like oh they did have a good match and now no one, people can't continue shitting on it or not want to watch it and they put on another good match for a second sort of pay-per-view for another um, is it the second time in the last three pay-per-views they've had a mm-hmm. 205 live my 205 live match on it and I said a Survivor Series one of the big four they were on the actual main main pay-per-view that it wasn't was, on the pre-show yeah, or anything that was a relief more than anything because um, we'll talk about the pre-show carry on in a wee while I mean, if anyone wants to keep, if anyone wants to keep shitting on two hundred five live, then I think if you do that though, you're shitting on it. It means you're not actually watching it. Uh huh. Because it was evident that night that they've got good wrestling on show. Mm-hmm. There was even a hype package. One of the few matches that got the vignettes. Do you know? I'm just going to come out and say it. Fuck it. Staff Ali is the best wrestler in WWE. <laughs> I thought Nia Jax was. Yeah. If he's not the best, I think he's top two or three, without a doubt in my mind. Uh-huh. I used, I, he offers so he's, much. He's special, like, in every possible way. And I've said it time and time again, if people or Vince could get past, like, 205 and how he's a quote-unquote vanilla midget or whatever, and that guy could just... That guy would bring in so much money for you and would legitimately be like this massive star just because just how great of a person he is. Yep, because he does a lot of community work as well. That's what I'm saying. Like you've, you've, I've seen it on Twitter, people reaching out to him saying, listen, you know, I think it was a, a, a guy from New Zealand It was like, I was literally ready to give up on life until you reached out to me and made me sort of clear things out and, and everything kind of became clear and my mind was like no longer hazy and I wasn't in a bad place and it was kind of all because of you and it's like I mean this guy's reaching out to people on the other side of the world for fuck's sake mm-hmm. like just a damn good person and just fucking let us say he's just an unbelievable wrestler yep. you can't ask anything more of him he's doing his best Yep. he will get that title at one point and if, if there is more crossover between 205 and the main roster as we've seen with the likes of Lucha House Party, Leo Rush, Drake Maverick, it's possible that I can yep. sort of transcend over. So, I'm, I mean, on, this, on the other hand, I'm happy that it's kept separate because I still get to see my staff at Ali have matches every other couple of weeks, 20-minute barn burners, puts on excellent shows all the time. So see if I just take it, like try and ignore the... Two or five live shit because no one watches it. It's like, well, if you just sit and watch it, you'll be entertained for it's not even an hour, it's 50 minutes of your time. Mm-hmm. There's decent matches, you've got most of the roster are used every week, whether it's tag matches or vignettes, or what do you call them? These selfie videos that are the rage right now. They're getting used, so if you just sit and watch it, you might not be so dismissive of it. Yep. Yep, completely agree. I did enjoy the <clears throat> the Seth Nakamura match. It had a slow start, but that seems to be Seth's MO where his matches get better as they go on. Probably the most motivated I've seen Nakamura in a long time. 
it, like I said, it was a slow start. They were kind of like trolling one another, um, just trying to. I even sent that message in our WhatsApp group that like just that match just picked a little bit slow, but now it's starting to pick up. The the closing sequence to ending the match, <clears throat> I thought was just was really really good. Um, so Nakamura goes for Kinsasha, I think it was, was it? Did he? And then misses it. Seth gets out of the way. Nakamura's kind of on his knees trying to get looking to get back up and Seth hits curb stomp. I thought the ending to that match was phenomenal. Yes. The only the only surprise about it was I think we were all kind of expecting Ambrose to come down and cost Seth at some point. Or at least come down post match. Um, but he never did. I thought overall, I thought it was a real good match, to be honest with you. Like you say, it was kind of slow to start off with, but then really started picking up in the last sort of 15 odd minutes. Um, yeah, I get no complaints about that match whatsoever. I don't think Seth needed the win for this one, though. I don't think he did either. I don't think he did either. I think you could have had Nakamura win it because, like I say, he's... he's He's really been anonymous. Like I know he featured, he was featured heavily in the Asia Styles food. Obviously, it was, it was a main event. Didn't obviously win it, and then he's won. He's got the US title, but it's like, does anyone even remember he had the US title? So it's been quite underwhelming. It's been kind of disappointing. Six months or nine months or so for him. Um, mm-hmm. I say they could have used that win. Could have maybe propelled him up again. Um, yeah, like the kind of impression you're getting from I don't know if it's Nakamura himself or is it a case of bad booking and or maybe a combination of both that he's kind of like Brock and Randy in the sense that he want you turn it on when he feels like turning it on when he feels that he's got the right opponent. Uh huh. I just even, but, see even if Dean didn't turn up, which he didn't, but if if Seth is preoccupied mentally to the point where Nakamura took advantage. I think that would have made more sense. And I mean, I've not got... There's been this thing about the clean sweep where Raw won. Even, we'll get to the, the fact that it wasn't a clean sweep in a minute, but people are not happy that SmackDown were on paper buried, squashed as it were. And I think from a storyline perspective, it would have made more sense for SmackDown to pick up the victory in this one. For Nakamura to get himself as a US champion a bit of momentum, a bit of confidence and for Seth to lose confidence even though he's an IC champ with the upcoming match against Dean Ambrose at TLC just would have made a bit more sense for me, story-wise and then, and then what you could have went ahead and done was Shane could have still tweeted out that nonsense that things are going to change or there's going to be a shake-up on SmackDown but you could have then had Nakamura come out and been like being that cocky, arrogant like, well, I win none of you didn't Yep. Apart from obviously the Usos, because the Usos got the victory as well. Oh, what was that all about? <laughs> I mean, what, like, first thing, let's that, get the positives out of the way. Right. The fact that it was the Usos that get the win, it shows how highly we still think of them. And the Usos kind of not been doing it in the last six months. Bothers me, but it also doesn't, because there's just a real lack of tag teams. But... It doesn't bother me in a sense that you kind of need them out of the title scene for a little bit, but let's bring them back into it now because they are by far the best tag team in the company, um, without a doubt. 
So like, I'm all for, I think you kind of need to rotate people in and out of the title scene, but they've done fucking nothing for the last six months, and that's been a disappointing thing. Um, let's put it like this. By not acknowledging what took place in the pre-show, the WWE have told you whatever happens on the pre-show doesn't matter and don't bother watching. They didn't even... They didn't, how they usually show highlights of the pre-show. Mm. Did they show highlights of the pre-show during the main card? I'm not entirely sure. I can't be sure. I can't be positive because if they did, then we would have to acknowledge that SmackDown got the win and it wasn't a clean sweep. But for me, bottom line is Vince McMahon has told the fans, do not watch a pre-show because yep. it means fucking nothing. We don't care about tag team wrestling, so you don't have to. We don't. Uh, we don't, uh, we don't care about that. And we don't care about the pre-show. Like, why on earth would you? Why would you do that to something that you're promoting? Why would you do that something to one of your own products where you're basically telling people not to bother watching it? Because, like it says, whatever happens on it means fucking nothing. Like, so why would you waste your time watching something that has no meaning? I mean, this is why I was relieved that Mustafa Ali and. Murphy were on the main card because nobody, we are told by WWE not to care about the pre-show. Well, 100%, you cannot argue otherwise. You cannot argue any other way. You can't be like, oh, it's just a pre-show or, no, they're not telling you. No, they are fucking telling you that. They're telling you, do not bother watching the pre-show because it doesn't mean anything. Simple mm-hmm. as that. I know. I mean, as you say, it's good that the Usos got the victory. And that's the only positive that Alex says, they kind of reminded themselves and everyone else that, like, yeah, do I just don't worry, we know what we've got here, and these guys. Did you see what his dad, his dad, their dad said? No. Big Rikishi? No. Well, he was, there's some breaking news about him. Uh. Um, oh, I'm sorry in advance. It was caught. It was made news that he attempted smear campaigns against both the Republican presidential nominees in the last few years, in 2008 and 2012. I think it was John McCain was the first one, and I can't I can't remember the name of the second guy. When he was asked for his reasons, he said, "I did it for Barack." What did you think of the women's five-on-five match? <sighs> Nothing. <laughs> I'm just moving past that awful joke. You didn't think anything of it? No, I really didn't. Actually, it was quite boring. If I'm being brutally I honest. Liked, I really liked the Sasha and Asuka face-off outside the ring. Uh-huh. That was good. <sighs> and it's funny. Because Asuka's done... Next to fucking nothing in about ten months. I know she won the Royal Rumble and then she was in the wrestle. We had that great match at WrestleMania. Sasha's, you know, the exact same. She's been carrying um, some injuries. Yep, um, she has been, but when when she's there, she hasn't treated like the style that she is. Um, and it just kind of showed you when the crowd the crowd fucking popped for them too. And it shows you what people still think of them. That face off was amazing. It kinda of, it kinda of took me back to remember when AJ and Nakamura had the face off at the Money in the Bank. Yes. They kinda of picked both picked the ladder up and moved out of the way and she goes, right, well we need to one of us need to one of us needs to ultimately knock the other one out here in order to win a title and it was kind of they both had that just face off outside the ring and they both acknowledged, right, well, let's take this to inside the ring. Um 
that was that was goosebump kind of moment. Um, yeah, so yeah, that was about it. Nia Jack's getting booed the hell out of the building as well. Heat magnet. <sighs> I mean, fine. She's getting booed because of what she's done to Becky. She's not getting booed because of like good heel work or anything like that, but fuck, she's getting booed. Like, do what you want to do with her now. Like, just continue to keep talking about how she hurt Becky if you want, just to continue getting booze. Like, continue all that all you want. Um, doesn't really bother me because I've never really cared for Naya in the first place. Like, I felt like she's capable of having, like, good enough matches. Um, and a match against Ronda Rousey was a real good match as well. I like that she's tapped into the people saying that she's a bad wrestler. Oh, that's awesome because when she's posting stuff about don't worry, my fist is going to be okay, when she had the cut and stuff like that, and it's just like, and then that's getting people worked up, and it's like, can you not fucking see she's just doing it to piss you off and uh-huh. you're rising to it, and now people are going like, oh, well, your troll game piss you shite. No, no, no. You're reacting to it. Like, it shows you she knows what she's doing and she's doing it just to get a rise out of people and just laugh at people. Yeah. I find that quite funny. I like how people are getting heated about Nia Jax. I find it real funny. I think that's... I just, I mean, just get the popcorn out and just kind of see the nonsense uh, that people yeah. are saying. Get that big E popcorn gif on the go. Yep. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Nia Jax is good in the ring or anything like that whatsoever. I just, like I said, all I'm saying is I find it funny that that she's just doing this now to get a reaction out of people. Kayfabe is well and truly alive with stuff like yeah. this. Yeah. It's quite, it's just people are getting worked into a shoot, brother, brother, as to say. And, okay, there's, um, there's a sort of real thing behind it, but they're still, they're still playing into the company's hands. They're getting that heat before a Ronda Rousey match. The Ronda Rousey situation's a bit iffy, granted. Um, oh, that's, that's... It's crazy how quickly people are turning on her. Uh-huh. I know she's kind of not helping herself, but bearing in mind, the promo she cuts are not her actual promos, and at the end of the day, you know you know when you come across just someone who's wittier, wittier than you and just, you know, and that's what it is in this case, you know, it's almost like you trying to... Slag a comedian, you know, you're like, just don't bother wasting your time. And that's the kind of impression you get with the Becky Lynch thing, but she keeps going and going. Um, when it comes to like mic work and the ability to just sort of slap your opponent down, like, she can't compete with Becky. Um, but yeah, like, people are really, really turning on her, and they've turned on her real fast. Mm-hmm. And some of the things I've been seeing as well, I'm, it's not just one, I've saw several tweets talking about how Shane is far superior to Ronda in the ring which to me is just no shit Sherlock no shit exactly it's like really like that's your hot take for the day <laughs> like really like I'm I'm flabbergasted by when people say stuff like that because folks newsflash just in case any of you fucking imbeciles didn't realise Shayna Baszler's been wrestling for three years now. Mm-hmm. And Shana. Ronda Rousey's barely been wrestling for six, seven months. I would expect Shayna to be better and more advanced than Ronda is. But like, it's the t- I think they just turned on her because she was against Becky. 
Probably. Probably, yeah, I think so. I think so. And it kind of exposed... We kind of knew how limited she was in it, like on the mic and stuff like that, and it kind of exposed that even more. And I think because Becky's so over, it kind of didn't really matter who Becky was coming against. Becky was always going to, people were always going to side with Becky there. Um, but like now we're acting like Ronda isn't like getting better in the ring, and she isn't like she is, she's capable of putting on good matches. Yeah, she's still green as hell. Yeah, she's still learning. Of course, you expect that. Um. I mean, I, but the comparisons to Shayna just it just blows my mind. I, I hadn't seen that stuff myself, but yeah, I mean, I don't get, I don't care that much because it's obvious. But I, you know, fine well that I am not Ronda Rousey's number one fan. Yep. But this is just, it seems to me, first it was Charlotte, then it was Nia, then it was Ronda. It's just whoever's against Becky, people will aim, aim yeah. shit at basically. Yep, that's it. That is it. And just wait until you see people losing their mind when Ronda makes her tap in the middle of the ring at WrestleMania. In two minutes. Like, I mean, I love Becky. I think her... She's always been a great wrestler. But I'm not going to turn around and say that I've always cared about Becky. Oh. I'm not going to bullshit people like that. Okay, there's been a couple of ill-advised... Not even ill-advised, sort of misused terms and promos... It's not the first person to do that. And there are other people who get a break for saying worse in promos. And Millennial is a can be very broadly defined, but one of the sort of... I think what, what Ronda's getting at is that entitled generation who thinks everything's owed to them. They're savvy on social media and stuff like that. Becky is constantly, when she's not sleeping, when she's not wrestling, she's on social media... Destroying everyone, trolling everyone, showing that she's better than everyone. There's kind of a mild definition of millennial in there. So, okay, using it over and over again, stop it, but it's just one of those ones blown out of proportion, I would say. And then she comes out with the whole penis envy thing, and it's like, what the fuck? What was that one? I need to find it, but basically Rhonda was talking about Becky having penis envy or something along those lines. Well, she's calling herself the man round about the time of the women's evolution pay-per-view and she's trying to rise herself above everyone else. So I can again, I can see where she's coming from. Um, but can't need to find out where it is. I would rather that just not say stuff, ignore her. Oh, you could do because, like I say, at the end of the day, you're not really going to win that feud. But as we've just said there, everyone on Twitter's going crazy about it, so it's working okay. And this might not be the desired reaction for Ronda Rousey, but there is a vested interest. Ronda Rousey's name has been hashtagged all over Twitter. The hits are going up. The algorithms or whatever they use, it's all going in positive or negative. It's on an upward tra- trajectory. Yep. What were your thoughts on the men v men match? I was pleasantly surprised by this one. Yeah, I thought Drew was going to feature more. You must have been. I amazing. thought this was. I thought this was going to be all about Drew. Um, disappointed that Joe lasted about thirty seconds, but if he's oh. hurt or he's working hurt, it makes sense. Well, don't uh, that that pissed me off. 
Yeah, I know what you're going to say, don't put him in the match. Well, if that's the way you're going to do it, I would rather it happen to someone like Joe, who can go away and heal up, rather than it happen to someone like Almas, who was just thrown in the match and basically got never got to showcase anything. Um, or just don't do yeah. something like that in the first place. Or do it to Jeff Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, that would be good. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I'm not going to say it blew me away or anything like that. I didn't expect much from it. Um, I think I was actually... I had um, reservations going into the match because Rawgists were fighting with each other, but they actually fought with each other during the match. And I yeah, that was, that was, quite quite, cool. that was quite good. You see the bit where Finn Balor tagged himself in against Drew and then insecurity his head? That was amazing. <laughs> For no reason I know, it's like, who do you think you are? Big Scottish, Scottish boy. I guess... And it'll probably kind of please Kyle, but it doesn't please me that I wanted to see more of Drew. I, like to be honest, I think Drew featured quite a bit in the match, but he did. I just felt we were going to see more of Drew. Well, um, well you know what we got to see more of instead, instead of Mark Drew. Or Shane, Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon. Uh, yep, 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 Yeah, I've got nothing to say about that. I've said it before. I said it in the Crown Jewel review. I won't go down that road again. But there's no need for Shane McMahon to be involved in active storylines, I would say. Paige was doing a fine job. The Miz doesn't need a Shane McMahon feud. I'm alright with Shane coming on SmackDown every other week and stuff. I'm fine with him being like an on-screen character. I don't mind that. I just don't need to see you wrestling. And... I've just come to accept that we're kind of going to see that like once a year or whatever or twice a year. That doesn't mean I want it. Well, just like with AJ, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, don't be surprised if the Miz's stock falls. Slowly. Uh, uh, Man, they're going to do Miz Daniel Bryan. I'm telling you, Miz is going to be the babyface. In WrestleMania? Miz is a babyface. Like, seriously, family man got a wife kid does a TV show does movies or whatever kind of like yeah fine he does movies maybe not great ones STD good. straight to DVD good. yep yep good looking guy and it's a kind of like I came into the business uh, like and as, a, as a reality star and I've busted my ass off and look where I've got to all because of hard work that's your fucking that's your that's a story that's a uh, fairy tale story right there in a sense mm-hmm. um, I think he's Big time money if you turned down face. In the process, he fucking gave Daniel. got Daniel Bryan got his comeuppance. Because remember, Daniel Bryan started this feud with him as for no reason whatsoever on that uh, Tonk Smack episode, where he called the Miz a coward for no reason. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and Miz has been defending himself ever since. He's cheated along the way. And Daniel Bryan cheated to get this uh, WWE title, just like Miz has been telling him all along that that's what you need to do in order to win. Mm-hmm. And the Miz tweeted out saying that he either tweeted it or it was on Instagram. I've, that I've been telling you about. I've been telling you this all along. Do we have to talk about the Daniel Bryan Brock Lesnar match? <sighs> do you know what? 
I thought Josh in the messenger group kind of summed up perfectly. The first kind of like three quarters or whatever was a typical Brock match or the first two thirds and then the final third of the match it was kind of exciting. Um, I thought Daniel Bryan died in front of our, our very eyes oh. when he got that first German suplex. He literally landed on his head. Um, and then Brock pulling him up uh, after he hits an F5 to finish him kind of shows Brock's streak, his mean streak and how he just wants to cut, just hurt everyone and that kind of ultimately was almost his downfall. I thought the last sort of like seven or eight minutes or so was quite exciting. Um, kayfabe wise it kind of gave you that hope that Daniel Bryan might win or that sense that Daniel Bryan might win Daniel Bryan was never going to win nor should he have ever won I don't think that should have ever been considered Uh, like I say it was a typical Brock match and then it kind of got good well no it didn't (laughs) okay it's just we've seen it before the, the the small guy gets suplexed around the ring, they make a comeback, and at the end of the day, it's all for nothing. Just like the rest of his outside of Survivor Series, when he's facing the big monsters, they get treated like a threat. When it comes to crunch time, doesn't matter worth a shit. And that was near enough a carbon copy of match that they had with AJ Styles last year, Daniel Bryan this year. So even Survivor Series has fallen into that pattern of small guy takes it to Brock but at the end of the day it doesn't work I have no interest but outside of Roman Reigns right none of the other big guys have posed a threat whatsoever to Brock so Braun's had his ass handed to him twice by Brock so why should I get my hopes up for any Brock match whatsoever you shouldn't because Brock's a piece of shit fuck Brock so why? But I will, but I will acknowledge. I've acknowledged. I, for me, someone who hates Brock, like I said, that last five, six, seven minutes or so was quite exciting. I thought. I just didn't care. I, I knew what would happen. Oh, I I agree. I didn't care, and I knew it would happen as well. But I still found it quite exciting because I I, I always felt going into the match. I thought Daniel Bryan would get enough offense in to kind of make him look like a threat, but never actually win it. There was a couple of occasions where, let's say, you could have felt like, oh, we might actually do it, but, you know, you never... People who understand, or who feel like they understand the business, or people who feel like they're clued up, never really thought you did, but, from a, I say, from a KFA point of view, <clears throat> like, there's moments in that match where you felt like, oh my goodness, Daniel Bryan's going to win. The only positive in that match for me was that yes lock looked tight. That's all. I was just, I was kind of just waiting for it to finish so I can turn the, turn my candle off. Uh, it was, it was. A, I thought it was a decent, hard hitting affair. The last seven minutes or so, though. I was. And Daniel Bryan jogging around the start of the match as well. Oh, what an arsehole! Was an absolute ass. Exactly. I was thinking you're an absolute arsehole. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it was. Stop being a wee dick, Daniel Bryan. Exactly, and it was kind of good. People, were, people were. I think people have forgotten just how great of a heel he is. Mm-hmm. And he's just getting booed on SmackDown as well. The heel turn might not be to everyone's tastes, but 
You're not supposed neither, to like neither, U-turns. Neither was the Becky one. Yep, and look what's happened there. We've so, got and it was Richard say that they'd done Daniel Bryan Miz uh, as a dark match after SmackDown, and Miz was like kind of like the babyface there. Who would have thought that would ever happen? Yeah, because we all thought it'd be the other way around. But I'm just glad we're getting it. I, oh, I think we will still get it at WrestleMania. I mean, see the TLC is looking not bad. You've got a match. Oh, yeah. AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan. Stipulation to be determined. Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. Again, stipulation to be determined. Uh, Nia Jackson, Ronda Rousey. The crowd's going to be hot for that. There was going to be Braun versus Corbin, but Braun is seemingly out of action for quite some time now with an elbow injury. Yeah, they'll probably run that match at a random row, I think, now, because uh-huh. that is a legit elbow injury. That's a couple of times. I don't know if it's the same elbow as last time when he was I'm out. Not sure. A couple, two years ago, was it? Um, no, I can't remember. No, I can't remember. No, just last springtime he was out for a while. Great balls of fire season. Uh, that's a worry. If it's the same elbow, then that could be a recurring issue. Mm-hmm. And I have to kind of very grudgingly accept that they'd, they were in a corner with regards to Brock Lesnar winning the title at Crown Jewel. You could press rewind and change about two or three months worth of booking Roman Reigns thing happened it was little, very little they could do it's had repercussions long term going forward but I hold my hands up, I should quickly bring them back down but I hold my hands up I was disappointed in the tag team champs match it was a bit, yeah I feel as if that never that never got off the ground at all no I guess it's just offers of pain aren't where they need to be at the moment. Mm, I, th- I think they're improving, though. They are improving, but they're just yeah. they don't do much for me. They never have. Uh, I know a lot of people had their high expectations of this match, and like you say, it never really, never really took off. And then you had the whole Drake Maverick peeing himself incident. By the way, I don't know what Heath Slater and Rhino were laughing at because everyone's talking about him rather than them after Survivor Series. <laughs> no, I'm saying. Yeah, the peanuts and it's not my kind of humour, but I couldn't care less about it. Oh, I mean, it's not my humour either. Um, but I'm not raging about it. It was just, haha, it's funny. Okay, but. Drake's quite popular right now. It's probably the most popular he's been since coming to WWE. It's kind of worked out well for him. Mm. Mm. I think we've covered all the matches now. We have. Overall, I thought it was a relatively solid show. I, well, I think it was solid. There wasn't anything that truly annoyed me. Women's match was it was okay. What? The five v five women's oh, match. Oh, five. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> calm yourself. The matches, down. the matches I never had any expectation for either delivered lived up lived up to my expectations in the sense that they didn't do anything. 
or they kind of exceeded it a little bit. Um, so I wasn't really too bothered with those ones, and the ones I had expectations for delivered. Outside maybe that uh, tag team match. Uh huh. That was a bit pointless. Um, anything from Raw or SmackDown that you want to cover? Before we do some quiz action. Um, just a, a quick question. Does I saw a lot of people talking about it. We were talking about it in the Messenger group and there's a lot of things on Twitter. Does um, Dean Ambrose's line about Roman Reigns bother you? But one, the Oh, when he was saying that Roman has to answer to his maker? Yes. Uh, no. Obviously, it's one of those ones you don't like to hear it. It's not a nice thing to hear Dean Ambrose, this guy who we've supported like fervently, furiously for six years now, to say something like that. But I think it's one of those ones, that's the story they're trying to get across. He's going down a dark road now. I don't know if you've seen it. In fact, we did talk about it before we started recording. I watched his Chronicle and a documentary. It's like a kayfabe documentary about him returning from injury. And when he was off during that time, he comes back and he's fighting fights that he wasn't involved in in the first place. He's the squeaky, he's the third wheel on a two-wheeled bike. And he was in a dark place. He's still not, technically still not given a proper explanation for what's going on in his head and why he turned on Seth. So we're supposed to not like him. He's in a bad place just now. So he blamed, he blamed, not blamed Roman. He brought up Roman's cancer. It was in bad taste, but I'm trying, like, it's one of those ones where people are choosing to be mad at the company rather than the character, and if that's the case, then WWE, they're, they're in a lose-lose situation. If people aren't going to embrace a fiction, it doesn't matter what they're trying to do, because it's, it's like a lose-lose. I'm, I'm annoyed at Dean. I'm sure... I'm sure Roman Reigns was alright with him saying that. I'm sure Dean was maybe uncomfortable saying that, but he said it anyway. Everyone was on board with it. But is this another one of those ones where people choose what they'd be offended by? Because a few weeks ago, I can't remember if it was before Evolution or not. Not exactly on the same level. Becky Lynch poked fun at Edge, Edge's neck, which was, you know, like one or two bumps away from complete paralysis at the very least. I'll give you a, an even better one. Becky Lynch spoke fun at Ronda Rousey in a, one of her many tweets about hiding under a blanket after her loss at UFC when it was like a known fact that Rousey was having suicidal ideations at that time. So, see, mental health is a big deal these days. It's in the front, the forefront of a lot of people's minds. It's treated more seriously. Is what Dean Ambrose said more careless than what Becky said to Rousey? Um, but it's alright because Becky said it I don't have an issue I, I don't with what he said um, <clears throat> I know a lot of people said it was done in bad taste and I kind of I, I understand that point of view um, because this is a company that basically that had who was it was it Edge or whoever it was, go out and say shit about Eddie Guerrero like days after he died. Uh, Orton. Orton. 
You know, CM Punk taking the piss out of Paul Bader. With the ashes, yep. yeah. Um, Can you tell me, I remember I didn't watch it at that time, how did that go down? I think it was just more so, oh, for me it was like, oh, Punk, you piece of shit. It wasn't WWE, you pieces of shit? No, because at the time, like, you kind of, if it happened, you were like, right, well, the relevant people have signed off on it. Because you just know if Taker turns around and goes, I don't want this done, it's not getting done. And if you don't think that Ambrose or someone run that line past Roman, then you're nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw people saying, like, imagine being a cancer survivor or being a family member of someone who survived cancer, tuning in and seeing them use that for a cheap heat or whatever. Imagine uh-huh. how offended you would be. Well, we're both family members of survivors yes exactly and I explained what my ex you, I said on the podcast a few weeks ago when we were talking about Roman what my sister went through like where she was literally we were literally told on like two or three occasions like just you know prepare start preparing yourselves and I remember seeing her like lying there like she looked gaunt she looked yellow she looked as if she was gone and to be honest and it, it doesn't bother me um just in the same way that it doesn't bother me if I watch a film of a woman or a man or someone being raped because that happens on a daily basis. Yep. Like that kind of like watching things like that don't bother me because it's part of the story. Yeah, whether you like it or not, it's um, supposed to invoke a I reaction. Do, yeah, I do understand why people don't like it, and I do think it might have been it is a little bit in poor taste, but. You know, one could also argue that what Ambrose said was religious related as well. And I'm not going to, I don't want to start preaching, but I'm a firm believer that in this in this life, I'm constantly being tested day in, day out. Um, and you're being tested to see whether or not you're worthy in the afterlife. Um and to just to go one little further, like in this real life, there's a an Australian boy who was around younger, maybe four or five years younger than us, diagnosed with cancer. Who was like money was not an option, like wasn't even an issue. Like rolling in money, was diagnosed with cancer. Set up charity, gave all his money away, and actually turned around and said he was gifted with cancer, and he was gifted with cancer because he says this is kind of me being given a chance to to make do the right thing now in my life and make amends and it's like so it could have been coming out in the religious aspect as well but bottom line it never really offended me too much but I understand why people might not have liked it because it wasn't in the best of taste but but Roman or people close to Roman or his family or whatever signed off on that you can guarantee that I believe or even if if they never signed off, they wouldn't. They wouldn't be annoyed about it because they're all about telling. I, they should. That's what's lost today. Fans are too smart. I don't think they're too smart. Well, I. You know what I mean. We, we, it was included. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, aye, it was included, and uh, it would just be annoyed at Dean Ambrose, so you could invest in the product more instead of being annoyed at Vince. And the thing is, I know a lot of people are coming at it like this storyline didn't need that, then the storyline doesn't need the IC title. I get it, I get it from both sides. 
I get it from both sides. I really do. But for me personally, it didn't bother me because for me, he turned around and goes, what Roman's going through, like, it's because of past mistakes or whatever it was he says, and he's now needs to answer to his maker. And like I say, from a religious aspect, I relate to that. Mm-hmm. So, fair enough. They're doing it like I'm not liking Dean Ambrose right now. I'd never thought I'd say that. Like watching him in that documentary or the Kayfabe documentary, he's a tortured soul right now. So I can I don't see where he's coming from, but I understand he's going through some dark shit. He and, was, and that's it. Like he, when you're going through like a bad time and in your dark place, you don't you're not thinking straight. He and not, you don't have the ability to make proper decisions. He nearly died as well. Don't forget. Yep. This is straight out of Renee Young's mouth. Yep, and he was going through it, well, by all accounts, was kind of like in a dark place himself, like trying to deal with the injury and like kind of not knowing what to do himself. And then he comes back and he's putting his body through shit again for other people's fights. And, that, and that's what he kind of he touched on as well in that documentary where he was talking about Roman being his work wife and he's no longer there and people don't see the hard work that people they put in, etc., etc. And it's all just about the fame and glory, but they don't realise just how difficult it is and stuff. It's a fucking great documentary. It's really, really good. Uh, it's a bit depressing, though. Uh, it is, but you kind of get an insight into like him personally and what his character's going through and what he went through. So, have they, have they uh, done, I, I think it's good. Have they done other Chronicle episodes? Because it seems to me this is like a kayfabe thing. I'm not sure. I know they had the, the AJ 365. Yeah. I've not watched that yet. I'll be watching that at the weekend, I think. I'm looking forward to watching that one, because the Kevin Owens one was excellent. Yeah, and I saw a little clip in the AJ one where Paul Heyman cut a promo and he told AJ, don't leave, I want you to stand right here and watch what I'm about to say, and he said he was talking about AJ just being, like, the greatest person he's actually witnessed, and, like, he puts him in that same bracket as Flair and HBK and stuff like that, and you could mm-hmm. kind of see, once he'd done his promo, they turned and shook hands. Like you could see, like AJ was getting choked up during it, and you could see how genuine Paul Heyman was with it, and it wasn't just a stupid promo he was cutting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that'll be a good watch as well. Uh, these these things on the network are excellent. Well worth. Oh, the, they really are. Well worth the nine ninety nine. <laughs> 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 so, unless you want to talk about um, a Thanksgiving dinner street fight, will we move on to the quiz? Yeah, let's move on. Oh, before we do move on, happy Thanksgiving to all our American listeners. Yes, listen to this as you wait for the turkey to roast. Indeed, and you can turn around and say, do you know what, I'm thankful for Ricky and Clyde. (laughs) (laughs) You can have two yams on your plate, call call one of them Ricky and call the other one Clive, and you, you too can have a Thanksgiving dinner with some Scottish lads. It's fucking quiz time with Ricky and Clive and friends. A fucking WWE quiz. Right, the quiz this week. Uh, funny side story. It's half past seven, eight o'clock British Standard Time. We were having a conversation on WhatsApp with Carl from Outsider's Edge. We were talking about unicorns, Miz, plastic currency. Um, so I asked him for a theme for tonight's show and it's kind of tonight's quiz, sorry and it's kind of turned turned into 
a quiz all about the people who Ricky hates the most and their time in WWE. So, ten questions, five people, two questions each. You ready? Fun, fun enough, folk, it's not just all about Brock Lesnar. I hate a few more people than top of that. I, I know what you mean. Right, you ready? Yep. Number one. How many times was Razor Ramon Intercontinental Champion? Hey, Um, yo. Is it a multiple choice? No. Do you want, I suppose you want a multiple choice then? Yeah, because it could be in. Four, five, or six? Four. Correct answer. Number two. At what pay-per-view did Scott Hall make his return to WWE? (sighs) Is this after WCW? Yes, so at like, when they came back as the NWO and WWF. You've not got a clue, do you? No. I remember he had the match at Mania with Steve Austin. Um, no. Um, what pay-per-view? Uh-huh. Have a... Have a... I'll give you a clue. Mm-hmm. NWO. Wait, that's my fucking clue? It is, yes. At what pay-per-view did he return? Uh-huh. As part of the NWO. Do you give up? I know they came back, but I don't know what pay-per-view that was part of. Yeah, fuck Scott Hall. What's the answer? No Way Out. NWO. Fuck! Oh, I loved No Way Out back in the day. I loved it, loved it, loved it. <laughs> Number three. Who did Ric Flair defeat to become the Intercontinental t- Intercontinental Champion at Unforgiven 2005? Um, it's kind of ironic, is it not? No, the answer the is answer, not. The answer? It's not Alanis Morissette. I spit in the faces of people who don't oh, want to be cool. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I see what you did there I see what you did there <laughs> do you know only us two marked out for that one yeah I know number four what did, was... you, did you did you have that question intentionally or was that just just sheer luck I uh, know I didn't even think I was thinking about <laughs> Ric Flair um, what was the match opponent and stipulation of Ric Flair's first match back for WWF after all the the invasion angle stuff Um. <laughs> uh, I, I... You want a clue? Yeah. Right, well, what was the story with Ric Flair coming back? Can you remember? No. He was 
sold some of the the rights to SmackDown or WCW, ECW by Shane and Vince, Shane and Stephanie, after the invasion angle. Um, so what was the question again? What was the match? What was his first match back? So who was it against? What pay-per-view? And what was the stipulation? You're not going to get it, are you? Was it a match with Vince McMahon? It was. And was it something like the winner got full control of Raw and SmackDown or Raw or just SmackDown or something? I'll rephrase the question. What was the gimmick? That kind of situation. Oh, right. I don't think I know, to be honest. Um, uh, right, so it's obviously... Fuck it. Um, no DQ? Street fight. Ah, same thing. Um, no, because in no DQ matches you don't wear jeans. Street fights. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the pay-per-view? The Rumble? Correct. Two out of three ain't bad, as they say. Number five, what was Hulk Hogan's last match for WWE? Jesus. You, is it the case of you hate these guys so much you just try to erase them from your memory? Do you know what it is? I was never a fan of these folk anyway. I Like you say, I once did say I don't get what the big deal is about Ric Flair. I know, but I'm trying to pick questions that were um, within your time of watching it. I know, but oh God almighty, I don't like these folk at all. Uh, last ever match. I'll give you a clue. Was it, was it SummerSlam? It was. That was good. Mr. Keith Orton. Keith, brother Keith. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think his daughter was involved in it some way or shape, some shape or form as well. Yes, uh, Randy Orton was flirting with Brooke. Brooke, yep. Number six, what was Hogan's... Was Hogan the heavyweight champion more times in WCW or WWE? So, the heavyweight title in all its different forms... In WCW or WWF? Uh huh. Oh, how many times did I hold it in WCW? Oh, that's a good question. Thanks. I'm going to go with. Um. WWF He won the title six times in WWF He won the title six times in WCW oh, fuck's sake A wee bonus question for you When did Hulk Sorry. When did <laughs> When did Hogan's racism first become evident in WWE Well a lot of people right That's, that's breaking news people right? A lot of people are going to think it was the the incident was at what twenty fourteen ish. Fifteen, yeah. Fifteen. Absolute scumbag. But I'm gonna let you know folks, that wasn't it. 
it was actually WrestleMania 21 when he came charging to the ring and vanquished Davari and the forgotten brother, <laughs> Muhammad Hassan. <laughs> oh, that's a... It's the truth. It's the truth. It's the correct answer. Number seven. <laughs> Backlash 2002 was Brock Lesnar's pay-per-view debut. Who was the match against? It was against 2002. (coughs) Forgotten brother. Uh, thingy brother Nero are you looking up the answers right now no for real no because you're looking away from the camera and there's some tap tap tappy tapping going on yes on my glass right Uh, yes correct answer number 8 how many times has Brock Lesnar been the heavyweight champion in all its in all its forms and guises I had to Google this one. How many times did he win the first time around? For anyone who's hard of, not even hard of hearing, for who's, who can't translate mumbling, he said, how many times was he the champion the first time around? I'm going to see either three or four. All in. I don't know how many times he won it the first time around. Mate, we'll pick an answer. Let me see if I can figure out the range. Two sex, wait. Oh, two sex while I'll Google it. How am I Googling it? I'm looking right at you straight on the fucking camera. Well, here is a bird for you. Five. Incorrect. Six. Hard lines. Number nine. Name the two people who CM Punk cashed his money in the bank briefcase in on. Edge. What's the other one? Fuck! Edge and... Was it Jeff? You were right with one of the answers. Which one did I get right about? Jeff, right? When was the Edge one? Was it not Edge? Was it Jeff and who? Who the fuck's that? Well, according to the, the fine... the fine world of Wikipedia, it was someone else and Jeff. Who the fuck was it? But do you know, I remember what you're saying. Right, let's just call this one a dud because you got the bonus point correct. I thought it was Batista. I have been. Why? What's the edge thing about though? Which edge bit? Because didn't didn't someone like Big Show or someone lay edge out or like 
and Funk came down and cashed in on him. Is it not Kennedy? What's that? No, Kennedy lost his. Ladies and gents, if you have the answer for that one, at Ricky and Clive on Twitter, um, at RNC on Bebo or MySpace. Number 10. All other members of the Straight Edge Society have appeared in WWE. Uh, sorry, two seconds. So, so, 2008, Punk cashed his money in the bank contract after Batista beat down Edge and won the title. Making it aye. Ah, see, there's probably a case of me not reading Wikipedia properly and just skimming the paragraph. Right. Sorry, go ahead. Number 10. All other members of the Straight Edge Society have appeared in WWE since it disbanded. True or false? Fuck, who was the woman in it again? Her name was Serena. Hey, well, we're on Gallows has. Obviously. Mm-hmm. I can't be certain about the woman. Right, so... Who was the other person? Oh, the woman hasn't, so... No, the answer's no. Right, well, it's, that's incorrect. Oh, when did she come back? Right, so you've got Luke Gallows... Joey Mercury. Oh, aye. And Serena Deep, who was in last year's May Young Classic. <laughs> Fuck sake. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. And for people wondering, right, I absolutely love CM Punk and I can't wait for the day he comes back, but CM Punk is a first-class dickhead. That's why he's on this list. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I gave you my five next week, you can quiz me on them. Yep, hopefully they're different. They probably will be different from mine because I think mine's have got some kind of shock value to it. I'll I'll pick five different ones then. Because I don't like Brock, you know that. I've never liked Scott Hall. Hulk Hogan, I hated him even before his racist ways. And Ric Flair, I just don't get it. <laughs> um. Well, that brings us to the show, the, st- the stuttering end to the show. Anything you want to plug before we stop? Uh, leave that to you. Okay, I've said a few times we are at Ricky and Clive on Twitter on Facebook. On Facebook as well, you've got the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group where you can come and chat about all things wrestling. With regards to the podcast network, we've got ourselves, Outsider's Edge, Grown Men Watch This Shit, Keeping it strong style, and our friends who will, we will be eternally sorry to, <laughs> uh, <laughs> One Nation Radio, who are also in Lords of Pain. Um, whatever app you're using, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, give us five stars. Uh, socialsuplex.com, you can check out the podcasts there as well as the columns that we drop, and if you want to get them straight to your inbox, you can subscribe. Breaking, the most breaking of news ever. Did you hear there's a former WCW champion who's bringing out a series of health-conscious dairy products as part of his ongoing business venture? Go on. DDP yoghurt. (laughs) 
Right, well, good night, folks. I'm sure you'll get your usual one, one or two pops for your shitty jokes, but take care, folks. Fuck Thank you. you for listening to the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Podcast. We'll see you next time. See you next time.